For our first announcement, we actually have a few guests with us this morning. Could you join me in welcoming our red carpet visitors? We hope you're enjoying your time on campus and just have a wonderful time while you're here, and we're glad that you can worship with us this morning. Um, a couple other announcements for this weekend. Tonight, SGA's event, Whose Line Is It Anyway, begins, so feel free to go out and support them and have some fun. Um, Refiner's Fire will be starting this Sunday night as well. And also support your teams. We have a few home games, tennis and soccer games will be um, home this weekend, as well as quite a few others that are away. And one reminder, for next week, it's actually a reading day on Wednesday, so you will not have classes and you will not have chapel. <laughs> there will be an opportunity for you to serve together. There's a, um, SGA is putting on an all-campus service project. So I believe um, you can see Greg Whitney and the SGA team for details. They'll be in the student center with sign-ups available um, with some fun opportunities to serve together as a student body on Wednesday. I'd also like to introduce our chapel speaker for this morning. We have Reverend Jeremy Scott with us. He, <laughs> he has been the pastor at North Street Community Church in Hingham, Massachusetts for almost 10 years. He and his wife both graduated here from ENC in 2003. Um, Jeremy is a graduate from Nazarene Theological Seminary in 2006, and he's currently complete, completing an, a Master's of Arts in Sacred Theology at BU. He and his wife, Megan, have four kids, Brayden, two twin girls, Brenna and Brooklyn, and their youngest son, Bryson. So they kept all the bees in there. <laughs> but would you, um, would you mind standing with me as we prepare our hearts for worship and enter into God's presence this morning. God, we just thank you for this time, Lord, to celebrate being in your presence together. Um, Lord, to celebrate the fact that you've brought us to this place, the, to celebrate the fact that you are um, present in our lives. And for that, God, we give you thanks and praise. Lord, we ask that you would just be with us as we gather together this morning, Lord, that you would help us um, to have eyes and ears, Lord, that are open to what it is that you want to do in and through us. Um, God, we worship you this morning. We welcome you into this place, and we are thankful for who you are and what it means to be your children. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. The Lord be with you. Thank you. I want to begin this morning by praying uh, together. Um, I ask you to pray for three people silently in your hearts. First, I ask you to pray for me as I preach this morning, um, kind of on trial, so to speak. And so let's just break that out right now and hope that together I preach the word of the Lord. So please, would you bow your heads and pray for me? Thank you. And now take a moment to, to pray for yourself, that as the word of God is presented this morning, you would be open to what God has to say to you. Pray for yourself. And third, uh, pick somebody around you. You might not know their name, uh, but pick one person and pray for them, certainly that they would hear the word of the Lord, but also pray for them as a reminder to yourself that together we are to be the people of God. And the hope in receiving his word here this morning isn't just to be interested or hear a good message, but that what we hear is planted within us 
as a seed that when we leave this place, we would go and bear fruit in the world. So pray for somebody around you, remembering together we're the people of God. Father, we offer you this time according to your will, by the presence of your spirit, in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. Hope. Hope, a community of hope. This is what I have been led uh, to, to share about this morning. I want to do it out of the, uh, the book of Hebrews. Um, I, wish, I wish we had time to read the whole book of Hebrews together. Um, it's not something we can do, but I do encourage you, if you have time and all else you're doing today, uh, to read the book of Hebrews. Um, you wouldn't pass in a paper to your professor, eight-page paper, and expect them to pick a line or two um, to read and then expect that they would get the whole scope of the paper. No, they, you want them to read the whole thing. And much the same the biblical writers appreciate us when we read the whole. Instead of just pickpocketing, and that, we do that sometimes. We'll have to do it here a little bit. But I encourage you to read whole swaths of Scripture. We can't do that. So let's begin at the te- in the 10th chapter of Hebrews at the 32nd verse. This is God's word. But remember, in the earlier days, after you saw the light, you stood your ground while you were suffering from an enormous amount of pressure. Sometimes you were exposed to insults and abuse in public. Other times you became partners with those who were treated in this way. You even showed sympathy toward people in prison and accepted the confiscation of your possessions with joy, since you knew that you had better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It brings a great reward. You need to endure so that you can receive the promises after you do God's will. In a little while longer, the one who is coming will come. It will not delay. But my righteous one will live by, work with me, faith. My righteous one will live by faith, and my whole being won't be pleased with anyone who shrinks back. But we aren't the sort of people who timidly draw back and end up being destroyed. We're the sort of people who have faith so that our whole beings are preserved, because faith is the reality of what we hope for and the proof of what we don't see. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hope, a community of hope. There are a lot of things that uh, people talk about in the church that, well, we have, we have a lot of jargon and, and lingo, words that we use that outside the people of God, they might be understood in, in little ways, but they don't really use those words like, well, church and salvation and hymn and praise and worship. These are kind of our words. People out there might have a little bit of understanding, but hope is one that we use that people understand at least in part. Now, I'm going to talk this morning about a fuller understanding of hope for the people of God than it might be understood outside uh, the church. But everyone knows what it is to hope. Even if in a given moment they don't, hope them, don't have reason to hope for themselves, they understand what it is to hope. Maybe they've seen somebody or they've hoped in the past. But for the people of God, hope goes much deeper than just temporal kinds of things. Out there, and though even my dog. Um, I actually don't have a dog. I have a chihuahua, which is kind of, kind of like a dog, but not exactly the real thing. It's miniature. I have a small house. 
I have four young kids, and the best we could do in space, um, the space of our house, was to get a like dog, a chihuahua. <laughs> now, I love my dog, Mocha is his name. Um, sorry, see, I just did it. I love my chihuahua, like dog. Um, and he exudes hope. Right? I don't know if you've met a chihuahua before, uh, but when I come home and I open the door and I walk in, and he's right there with his tail just wagging, and his eyes are bulging, and he's jumping up and, and yapping. They're kind of like barking kind of things chihuahuas do. <laughs> And I don't, well, I guess I do know what he's hoping for. It's probably a treat or a pat on the head or at least for me to sit down on the couch and put my legs up where he can come and be in a safe space because until I'm there, he's at the, the will of the kids and they pull his ears and stuff. But he exudes hope. You can see it, right, on people's faces, on Chihuahua's face. Speaking of kids, my kids, they hope too. Children, they show us all kinds of ways that we hope. Now, now usually their, their hopes are also kind of just as, as minimal as a dog, a treat, or a piece of pizza. Actually, I like pizza too, but they, they hope for those kinds of things that, you know, aren't lasting. A piece of candy, um, a bike ride, those are the kinds of things that my kids hope for, though they do understand deeper hopes as well. But in the church, in the people of God, out of the scriptures, we understand that hope is a lot deeper than a treat or a piece of pizza or even just a pleasurable evening. For people who want to be God's people. Hope is that thing that we only discover because we find God in situations that otherwise seem hopeless. We enter into situations where there is no hope because we are the people of God, and then because we've gone there and God has gone with us and before us, we find that hope is actually there. We don't just go into places where everything is all right and and good and, and, and preach hope. We go into places where people absolutely need to hear and see lived out expressions of hope. The kind of hope in situations like this where there is no hope, uh, it's the kind of hope where when you show up, you're surprised. Hope kind of has, has this, this, this notion of surprise, anticipation, and, and, and I know I'm hoping for something, but when I actually get there, there's something I didn't expect even though I expected it. You know, so like, kind of like Christmas morning. You know that there's going to be things there, but you don't know what they are. So there's an element of surprise. This is the kind of hope we have in the church. And it's the kind of hope we bring when we go other places. Perhaps you've experienced this before. I experienced it on this campus when I was a student. There's Open Hand, Open Heart. Is that still a ministry here? Okay. Well, there used to be a ministry called Open Hand, Open Heart. And every week we went out um, to Boston and we'd bring sandwiches and drinks. And, and we'd just spend time with people in, in an otherwise hopeless situation. And what, we found, what I found as a student doing that, I thought I was bringing God. I thought, you know, I was bringing the presence of God to these people and I was you know, going to Save their lives with a sandwich for a night, I guess. And, and I thought I was bringing, but what I found is when I got there, I, I found God. I discovered the presence of Christ in these kinds of situations. Perhaps you've done this when you've gone away somewhere on like a, a trip overseas or to some other kind of place where there's a great need. And, and, and you go there and it seems like it should be hopeless, but for some reason you discover there's all sorts of hope in that kind of situation. And you come home and you can't describe it to your parents or, or your siblings or, or your friends. But something happened in God showing up in that hopeless situation. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 25. You remember Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He said, it'll be like this in the end. All the peoples of the world will be gathered in one place and they'll separate the sheep from the, sorry guys, the goats. And, and I'll say to the sheep, well done. Enter into the eternal kingdom that the Father has prepared for you. Because, Why? Because what you have done for the least of these, you have done unto me. What are the things he talks about? He says, when you were hungry, you gave me food, right? When you were thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you gave me clothing. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you took care of me. 
Uh, the thing about it, though, we don't really notice all the time, is the people didn't, they didn't notice the sheep. They didn't, they didn't know why they were sheep. Apparently they'd been trained enough and they'd, they'd, been, they'd fostered their lives in discipleship or whatever else to be a people of hope in all situations. So they automatically went to these kinds of places. But the ultimate example is, is the cross. For, for on the cross, at the center of Jesus' ministry here on the earth, we see this kind of hope given in a hopeless situation. The most hopeless situations of, of, of all time, right? You know what the cross is. I mean, before we, we polished them and, and hang them on the wall, hung them on the walls of our churches and made nice ones around our necks, the, the cross was a tool of, of, of torture, of violence, uh, of death, of utter hopelessness. The, the notion of the cross, if you, if you went to a cross in the Roman Empire, the people who invented it, the notion of the cross was that there's nothing left for you. You did something to make the Roman Empire mad, and they're going to use you as an example. They're going to put you in public on that cross. You're going to suffer for a while. People are going to see, and they're going to know, don't mess with the Roman Empire. You have no hope if you mess with the Roman Empire. And so for a long time before that, God acted in the world, but God acted through various means. God spoke through people, prophets, and sometimes God would meet one-on-one with like a Moses or something. But at a certain point in history, God said, enough. I've got to go down and be with all of them. I've got to take upon myself their hopelessness, their grief, their sinfulness, their shame. And for some reason, you ever wonder, like, if I, if I was God, I wonder this, maybe you don't, but if I was God um, and I was, you know, in charge, I guess, uh, I, just sometimes it seems like if God has all the power in the world, why doesn't he just, just fix it all right away? I mean, if I were God that's what, and I had the power, that's, that's what I'd do, right? I'd show up and, oh, and sometimes you just did that in small pictures. But for everybody, there apparently is something bigger and stronger of taking upon himself the hopelessness, the grief, the shame, the sinfulness of the world, and then from out of that situation, resurrecting new and everlasting life. This is, this is the cross. If, if, if you're confused about what this Jesus thing is or, or why, you know, he did, I don't have it all figured out, but I know this. He took the cross upon him to take the hopelessness of the world and resurrect something new, a new hope out of that. And so there's some problems, though, for us as the people of God. We, too often we, we don't allow hope to come into situations or we don't go into these kinds of situations for a couple of reasons. I just want to talk about two of them. First off, <laughs> there, um, there are some people who just can't be happy in the world. Actually, all of us probably have those moments where we're just, you know, we refuse to acknowledge something positive that's going on. We, we, just, we have this, like, perpetual propensity for not being positive. We're just always looking for the wrong. There would be 25 things in a room. 24 of them can be good, but we're going to find that one situation where, that we can complain about. Um, is Debbie Downer still a thing? I, I might, be, might be dating myself a little bit, um, but about, about a decade ago, Debbie Downer made her appearance on Saturday Night Live. I don't even know if that's still a thing for people or not. But, um, and, and if you've seen the sketches... Debbie Downer is the epitome of what I'm talking about. I mean, she's a hyperbole, really, of what I'm talking about. But uh, the scene would be like this. Some kind of positive, happy scene. They did one at Thanksgiving dinner. They did one at, like, the Emmys or something. The most popular one is when they're at Disney World. Uh, you, sh- you should go look this one up. It's really funny. Uh, they're at Disney World, and they're sitting down eating breakfast. They've got their Mickey Mouse-shaped pancakes. 
And most, all the people, except for Debbie, all the people are talking about, like, you know, Disney World. I mean, what are you talking about? You have a blast. It's not the next ride they're going to go on and, and all the, the fun things they're going to they're do. And after everybody's saying something positive, Debbie just pipes up and says, well, actually, you know, there's a lot of germs on that ride. Or, you know, just something, like, just ridiculous that kind of brings it down. And every time she says a line, you get the wah-wah sound, right? Wah-wah. Because they're, we're like that sometimes, aren't we? And when we find ourselves like that, what I'm describing is, is cynicism, being cynical, being a cynic. Uh, the, the dictionary helps us. A cynic is a person who believes that only selfishness motivates human actions. A cynic uh, minimalizes that which is good to be able to bring up that which is bad in the situation. Now, I want to be careful because especially in the people of God, there are times when we need to be our own critics. You know, when we need to come alongside one another and speak to what we have seen or haven't seen. And Jesus gives us a pattern for this, right? When we have a problem or someone sinned against us, we go and we talk. We say, hey, Cameron, listen, you're really, you know, we need to talk about that. But I don't go post about it, right, uh, in the church. This is, this is family. And if, you know, if my mother's hurt me, I wouldn't post. I think I'd post about that. So we have ways to, to, to be, you know, critical, positively critical of each other in the church. But we can't let our criticism move to cynicism. We can't let cynicism, because cynicism kills. It destroys hope. It is actually the opposite of hope. Cynicism. So, so let's try not to be that. Number two. <laughs> Number two. The world has fashioned and shaped us in ways that we won't enter into situations where we're not going to get something out of it. Or we're not going to get something tangible out of it. Something that makes me feel good. Uh, out of it, whether it is money or, or food or something else like that. We, we don't see any value in being in situations uh, where we can offer hope in hopeless situations because there's no immediate reward. And the problem with this is that these are the exact kind of situations the church is called to, right? And so we can't allow the world to shape us in such ways where we deny a situation because I can't, there's nothing good for it, uh, good for me in it. Christ people, that is a community of hope. We don't run from hopeless situations. In fact, it's the hopeless situations, situations that seem to have no earthly good that we run to. We are not among those who timidly draw back, Hebrews says. So how do we avoid this in the community of Christ? How do we train ourselves to be a community of hope? How do we practice this together? I may be making some assumptions. I'm a guest at the moment. Um, but my assumption is that ENC desires to be a community of hope. Okay, that's enough heads, I guess. We'll go with it. Uh, This place, as a community of Christ, as a Christian community, wants to be a place that offers hope, that exudes hope, and a place where hope can can be born and and come to fruition. Okay, well, I'm going to run with it anyway. (laughs) To be a place of hope, there's just a a couple of things to to, to think about and to, I think, I want to offer us that we can practice so that hope can be uh, something that happens wherever we're at, as a people, particularly. Three things. Number one. Um, you know, listen to each other. Listen to each other. Because listening to each other creates space for hope to grow. This is in, inherently present in Hebrews. Throughout the whole, that's why I want you to read the whole thing. Throughout Hebrews. Uh, apparently for, for the people, whoever, we don't really know who this letter was written to specifically. We actually don't really know who wrote it either. Uh, but apparently as we read the scope of the whole book of Hebrews, what we see is there's something going on in this community. Whether it's pressure from the outside or maybe a rift between some people, there's something going on. And the encouragement of the whole book is, is to once again understand the things of hope and faith 
And of course, after this chapter comes that great um, Hall of Faith chapter that's very popular. It goes through all the people uh, of great faith in the scriptures up to that point. But when, when the writer says here, remember the earlier days, it's a call to remember what God has done. Because when, we rem- when, my, sorry, when my chihuahua remembers in the past the good I've been to him, that's why he comes to me. And so when we remember the goodness that God has given us in the past, remember the earlier days, and we do this by listening to each other, rem- reminding each other. There's a, a guy in my church. Uh, I live right behind our chapel um, and just down the street, there's a, a housing development where lower income and, and other people uh, who have difficulties in life are, are, are able to live. And Richard, um, he, walks, he lives there, he walks by my house all the time. Uh, I love Richard. Um, but Richard's got some different capacities than, than most of the rest of us. Um, one of them is, you know, every other week, he, he comes to church every single week. Very rarely is Richard not in church. Uh, but every other week or so, he comes with some kind of prediction about, you know, Jesus is coming back the next day or... Um, sometimes he'll look at me funny and say, Richard, what, what's going on? And I say, well, you've got a halo around your head. And just though, those kinds of things that he really honestly sees. That one kind of rubs my ego a little bit. But uh, <laughs> Another thing Richard does is he talks a lot to somebody or nobody. You know, he talks a lot. It looks like he's talking to himself, but for him, he's, he's talking, uh, you know, to somebody. And it's actually one day I was sitting out in front of the chapel on, on the bench in front of our chapel, and I like to sit there as an intersection, and I like to sit there and watch people walk, and like, people watching, you do that? Yeah, okay. Um, and Richard was, was coming down the sidewalk, and he was talking to somebody, nobody. And it took me three times of saying his name loudly before he, he turned and looked at me. And it was in that moment, this was about five years ago, I realized what my ministry as a pastor was to Richard. You know, Richard, he's not going to be able to go out on mission trips. He's not going to be able, he's not going to be a pastor. Um, there, there are a lot of things that the church focuses on that just, Richard's not, not going to do. And so my question to God was, what is my ministry to, to Richard? And, and God just simply said to me, well, you need to listen to Richard. You need to, you need to sit with him and just listen. Now, I'm, I'm a pastor, and I don't know if you know, but pastors have some things to do in life, you know. Um, we've got sermons to write and reports to fill out and, um, you know, donors to, to keep happy and, and stuff like that. And so... To sit with Richard for a couple of hours, I'm not going to be able to write that down in a report handed in to denominational leaders and say, yeah, I did my pastoral work, but it is kingdom work. To listen to, I mean, there are a lot of reasons that Richard talks to somebody, nobody. But maybe one of the reasons is just because no one else listens to him. And listening to one another creates space. I mean, Richard, you should come. You should come meet Richard in my church. He'll talk to you for hours. And you'll see the hope and the excitement in his eyes that someone's listening to him. That's hope. That is hope. That's, that's, number one, listen to each other. Number two, we just sit with each other in difficult situations. We just sit with each other in difficult situations. Because this fosters hope through one another. This is like our offering of hope, another offering of hope to one another, like, like listening to each other. We just sit with each other in difficult situations, including the times when we disagree with one another. Sometimes you were exposed to insults and abuse. Other times you became partners with those who were treated badly. You even showed sympathy toward people, Hebrews says. Sympathy. Uh, you guys know what compassion, compassion is. Um, but you know how the word breaks down, come with, passion, suffering. So to have compassion is to suffer with somebody, right? 
It's not like charity. It's related to charity. But, but charity is kind of the thing we give, um, and we need to do that in, in the church. We need to give to, to, to situations of need. But too often today, we're, we're hiding behind acts of charity. And what the heart of Christ is, is compassion. Entering into the situation of hopelessness and choosing, saying, I will suffer with you. Uh, Brené Brown is a researcher. Um, she researches human vulnerability and pain and suffering. Um, if you're a religion major or a social work major or an anything major, uh, go look up Brené Brown and, and watch some of her videos. What's really neat about her is that in her research, um, she really has a very strong component of faith and, and understanding, particularly her own Christian faith, how that you know, ultimately helps supplant vulnerability and pain and suffering. And there are lots of things I could share about her, but one of the things I saw a couple years ago on a video, she taught me how to be a better parent in a very simple way. We all know uh, that children, even if you don't have your own, you, you've been a child, uh, children are afraid of the dark, for the most part. There are some kids that, you know, they're stronger than others in that regard. Um, but kids are generally afraid of the dark. This is how it go. I'll put my kid to bed. We've got the water bottle. We've got the music on. And I kiss him and hug him. And I go downstairs. And before I even get to the bottom stair, I hear, Daddy, can you come back? And I go upstairs. They don't have to say anything. I just know it's darkness. And Brené Brown says, you have, you have a couple of options in that situation. The first and easiest option, if the child afraid of darkness, is to get rid of the darkness. You know, flip on the hall light, a night light, or a flashlight, and, and I'm, I'm done. I, there you go, kid, and I can go downstairs and watch the next episode or the game or whatever it is. But Dr. Brown says, if you really want to train that child, if you really want to give strength to that child, leave the light off, go and sit with them, and say, honey, it's going to be all right. I'm going to sit with you in this. We're going to get through it. And because we get through it, you're going to be stronger for it in the future, and you'll be able to face bigger and more disturbing things. Maybe that's part of understanding why God doesn't just fix it all. Maybe, maybe that's part of why God decided, you know what, I've just got to go down there, and I've got to take upon myself what they experience, and then they'll have the strength for everlasting life. Third, we have to serve with one another in situations of hopelessness. So the first two are kind of amongst ourselves, right? Listen to each other, offer each other hope in times of difficulty, and particularly times when we disagree with one another. I wish I could say more about that. I just don't have time today. But third, if we're the people of God, a people of hope, we will offer hope in hopeless situations out there. Offering what we have come to, whether we've been trained in by listening to each other and by sitting with each other in difficult situations, we go and then we make that example in the world. Because we aren't the sort of people who timidly draw back from difficulty. We're the sort of people who have faith that our whole beings are preserved, Hebrews says. We choose to go to the hopeless situations around us and across the world. We, we, we agree together in the church that we'll go spill some blood in the same mud together. This is why people like different activities where we're, we're working together, whether it's a sports team or, or doing a play for weeks or months together. Where when, when you get through it, there's just this new bond between you, right? Because you've struggled together, you've practiced together on the athletic field, and you've sweat together, and, and, and you've gone through difficult moments together. And if you can get through the other side, you as an individual are stronger, and the team or the group as a whole are stronger, is stronger. There's great value in working together on things like this. Particularly when we're called to be a community of hope in hopeless situations. We choose to serve together in hopeless situations. The community of hope recognizes together 
We acknowledge the existence of evil. We don't shy away from it. We acknowledge it, and we fulfill the prayers of others who say, deliver us from evil. We do that together as the church. So we recognize the existence of evil, and yet we're willing to stand together in the midst of it. The community of hope acknowledges together that conflict comes, even within ourselves, that things happen that that would try and pull us apart. We acknowledge that, and yet we're willing to sit together in and through the conflict in the hope that the grace of God will win in our disagreement and, and that we'll find a collective way through despite our individual feelings on any given matter. The community of hope, when disaster strikes, will not fall because they have, they have like gelled together, they've coalesced together and sworn together and decided together that nothing will come between the shared love of God and their community. Nothing. No conflict, no sickness, no death, no disagreement, no difference of opinion, no pressure from the outside. Romans speaks to this. Some of you know it well. Who will separate us from Christ's love? Will we be separated by trouble or by harassment or by distress? Paul says, no. I'm convinced that nothing nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not death or life, angels, rulers, not present things or future things, not powers, height, depth, or anything that's created. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Um, if you were to get to know me, you'd find uh, that I have lots of different favorite parts of the Bible. One of them is Matthew 5 through 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus. Um, if you get done with Hebrews and you're still bored, go back to Matthew 5 through 7. Although you should probably start chapter 1 because there's some build up to it. Um, but the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is in front of the people. And if you, if you know your Bible, you know that the Beatitudes begin the Sermon on the Mount. And the first Beatitude, usually heard these days like this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I like the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases this for us. He says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God. You're blessed when you're, you're at your wit's end because it's in that moment that you're totally empty and you become a vessel uh, that can only be filled by a living God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That, that's, that's wrong, right? The world, you're not blessed when you're poor, whether in spirit or in finances. You're blessed when you have everything. No, Jesus, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for it's in them that the kingdom can reign. Offering this hope in hopeless situations becomes the content of our faith then. If we're going to Hebrews 11.1 1 now. The content of our faith is that we offer this hope in hopeless situations. Faith is the reality of what we hope for. It is the proof of what we don't see. Dr. Martin Luther King, many of you probably heard this. and I, I, I keep this up. I love this um, quote from Dr. King. He says, faith is taking the first step when we can't see the whole staircase. Part of the problem for us as the people of God today is we, we've let too much of the world tell us, you know, you've got to figure it all out before you go anywhere. You, you have to know, every, you know uh, how everything works. And this is what leads to our, our idealism that leads to cynicism. Because we expect the ideal in everything, and if we find that one little percent, we're, we'll complain about it. Or just say, oh, I'm going home. It's over. This isn't faith. Faith is that thing that moves us forward when we can't figure it all out. There, yeah, there are pieces of knowledge and truth that help inform that faith that move us, that move us forward. 
We don't come completely blindly, but we don't know everything. Faith is that first step we take, even when we can't see the whole staircase. What are the hopeless situations you know about? Uh, whether here in, in, in Quincy, or if you're new to Quincy because you're a freshman, or you just don't get out much because you know, you're studying and all. At home, what are, the things, what are the hopeless situations at home? What do you avoid where God might be calling you to be his presence, to highlight his presence? I want to tell you about a man named Damien. Uh, Damien was born in the shadow of his brother, his older brother. Some of you understand that kind of situation. His older brother uh, was called by God to, to serve in ministry uh, in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and he became a priest. And Damien also wanted to be a priest, um, but they almost didn't let him because he was, they said he wasn't educated enough. But they did, they relented. He had gone to college and had actually a couple degrees, and they finally let him be a priest. And, um, but he continued to live in his, his brother's shadow. Uh, his brother got called to the kingdom of Hawaii. This is long ago that Hawaii wasn't state. It was still a kingdom. And um, his brother was called there, and by the time he was supposed to leave, uh, he got sick, and he couldn't go. And so Damien's like, I'll, I'll go for him. And no one else could go, so they relented. The church leaders relented. They let Damien go to Hawaii. But um, when he got there, he found a very difficult situation. Um, at that time, this was in the mid-1800s. And um, Hawaii, the, the, the native peoples of Hawaii, were riddled with diseases that colonists had brought, particularly Hansen's disease, which is, um, which is more commonly known as, as, as leprosy. Um, now, today we know that only 5% of the population is, is um, subject to getting leprosy very easily. Anyone can get it, but we know that now. But they didn't know it back then. And so all sorts of people were contracting leprosy uh, in Hawaii. And they didn't know what to do about it, so they did something really horrible, really horrible. They, they created a, a colony on kind of a separate island and part of a separate island called Molokai, and they sent all the people with leprosy there, it was really with not much of anything. And for seven years, the people suffered because of their disease and because they didn't have resources. It's a very isolated area. And so finally, the Roman Catholic Church said, we're responsible to them, and we need to send somebody. They, they knew it was a death sentence for whoever would go and, and be ministering to them. But Damien, he was the first. So I'll go. Then he did. Uh, he went, and he was supposed to come back. They were going to take turns. But by the time he got there and figured out what needed to happen there, he, he didn't just offer worship services, but he built homes, and he built beds and furniture, and he made clothing for them. He dressed their open wounds. He dug graves day after day to bury those who were dying and then offered prayers over them. Because he understood that if we are a people of God, the hope that we bring is especially into those hopeless kinds of situations. He had no earthly value in doing this. Wasn't going to get more money. In fact, after 16 years, indeed, he himself contracted leprosy, and he died of leprosy. In a letter he wrote home to his brother one time, he said, I make myself a leper to the lepers to gain all to Jesus Christ. You guys are full of opportunity. It excites me to see you here. Um, even as JD started playing earlier on, it just all these emotions came back to me of being here as a student. You have a lot of opportunity. So as you study and as you, as you dream and as you think about what's happening in three, two, one, zero, half a year, as you think about these things and as you listen to the voice of God, even through what you study, ask God, how can I use what I know, what I have, the resources I have to be hope in hopeless situations? Hebrews, 
don't throw away your confidence. Because we aren't the sort of people who timidly draw back in situations of difficulty. We are a people of faith, and faith is the reality of what we hope for. Faith is the actualization of the hope of Christ in and through what we do. And in this way, our lives become living examples of what people cannot see. The proof of a loving God. As you go, receive this benediction. Go in the grace of God to love and to serve. Let your ears ring long with what you've heard. And may the bread on your tongues leave a trail of crumbs to lead the hungry back to the place that you are from. Go and go far. Take his light deep into the dark. Believe what's true. He uses all, even you. Bless you, and you are dispersed.